So grab your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. I want to just jump right in and just ask, why spend an entire morning reflecting on how Jesus was despised and rejected? Hebrews 12 actually gives us a great reason to do this. Hebrews 12.1 is this call to us as Christians. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And here it is. Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. Run with endurance. Why do we need endurance? Well, if you look at the whole letter, uh, the book of Hebrews, which is a letter to Christians, um, they are at risk of losing endurance and drifting and shrinking back from Christ. If you flip back just a chapter to the end of chapter 10, it says this. It says, do you remember the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. These Christians, as life following Jesus got harder, and the reproach that Jesus endured began to fall on them, were were in danger of shrinking back and bailing out on Jesus. And so the author wants to encourage them, no, you need endurance. And so after an entire chapter 11 of examples of men and women who by faith endured, he comes to chapter 12 and he says, let's run with endurance the race set before us. And look at verse two. How do we, where do we find this endurance? Well, it comes as we look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we endure looking to Jesus who endured, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse three, which really just sets up what I wanna do here in this short time we have. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So there's the why. Consider how this Jesus was treated when he came to the world that he made, to people whom he loved, to sinners he came to save. How did we treat him when he came? But secondly then, consider how he responded when treated this way. So first point, and really the main point, this morning is that Jesus was despised and rejected. Caleb read these verses a few minutes ago. I want to read them again. These might be some of the saddest verses in the Bible. John 1, 9 through 11. This amazing good news, the, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then it gets sad. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him, which is an understatement. When we look to the Gospels and see how we treated him, we didn't just not receive him, but we despised and we rejected him. We hated him, and we gave him the stiff arm. Where do we see it? 
We see it even as Jesus was coming into the world as a man, even from before then, even before Jesus was born, Satan despised Jesus, the son of God. If you think all the way back to Genesis 3, from the, from the fall when Adam and Eve sinned and God's curse was pronounced, and Satan has known from the very beginning that one day from the line of Eve, there will come an offspring who will crush your head. So it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus is born that Satan is there ready to strike. And from the very beginning, Matthew 2, Herod the great gets news from these magi who travel in from the east and they've been following these Old Testament prophecies and they've noticed this star that's appeared over Bethlehem and they're speaking of the Messiah being born in this town of Bethlehem. And how does Herod respond? He sees this baby as a threat to be eliminated rather than a savior to be welcomed and worshiped. And he tries to snuff him out says Matthew 2.16, he became furious. He sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under. The slaughter of innocents. And, and Joseph and Mary are warned by an angel in a dream and they flee to Egypt as fugitives. From the very beginning, Jesus was hated and rejected. We see it throughout his years of ministry. We see it by the people of Israel and we see it in particular in the leaders of the people of Israel. We see it in the people. We see it in individuals in these moments like that, the rich young man who came to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. He invites this, this guy to come, get on board, come follow me, be a part of what I'm doing, the kingdom that I'm bringing. And this guy seems so close he genuinely seemed like a good man, a God-fearing man. He was trying to live his life according to God's law. Surely he wouldn't despise and reject Jesus. But he did. It tells us that he was disheartened by Jesus saying, and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Which might not seem like despising and rejecting, but really, at the end of the day, that's what it is. He didn't see Jesus as a greater treasure than whatever great possessions that he owned. When it came right down to it, he said, thanks, Jesus, I'll pass. I just don't think that you're worth what it might cost me to follow you. Despising and rejecting Jesus doesn't always look like high-handed rebellion. It can just look like an indifference to Jesus and a love of other things above him. I thought of Mark 6. He comes to his hometown of Nazareth as he begins his ministry, and he'd go like he always would to the synagogue, and he'd open up the scriptures, and he'd begin to teach. But he gets to his hometown, and he begins to teach, and initially, they're sort of astonished at his wisdom, but it quickly is jaded by their familiarity with him, and they sort of talk amongst themselves sort of with contempt and saying things like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this that just simple working man, Jesus? Isn't this the son of Mary? Maybe even implying, we all know how she got pregnant. Rumors he probably grew up under that he was an illegitimate child. And it says they took offense at him. And because of their unbelief, Jesus was able to do very little in terms of miracles or help for them. And he moved on. We even see near the end of his ministry, whole crowds who had been following him finally tapping out and moving on. In John chapter 6, 
verse 66, says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many were following him, but came to a point and said, ah, we're out. At that point, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are, are you gonna go with them? And Peter says, where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of life, you alone. But those who stuck with Jesus were very few and large numbers just moved on from Jesus. We see it more intensely in the leaders that were supposed to be preparing the pe God's people to recognize Jesus and receive him when he came. But the very ones who should have been most prepared were least prepared. And throughout Jesus' ministry, early on, they grow envious of Jesus and the, and the following, followers that are following him. And they begin uh, to accuse him and try to trap him. And they're always sort of skulking in, in the background, looking for ways to, to destroy him and get him out of the way. And finally, in Mark's gospel, there's this pivot point and Jesus tells his disciples um, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus told a parable in Mark 12. Let's turn there for a minute. He was at the temple and he was actually warning the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees. And then he told this parable to illustrate how what they were about to do was really just the evil climax of what Israel's spiritual leaders had been doing for generations. Every time God would send a prophet, every time God would send a, a word of salvation and an, an appeal to return to him, Listen to this story, Mark 12, verse 1 through 12. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a tower, and he leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? Remember, he's saying this to the chief priests and scribes and elders. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him. <laughs> but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. <laughs> Very perceptive. <laughs> and they left him and they went away. Incredible. Instead of respecting the son, they plotted to kill him. They got the point of Jesus' story. They understood this parable is about us. And then they left and proceeded to do the very things he described in the story. Plotted to kill him. 
They even persuade Judas, one of the 12, to help them. And they pay him money to turn on Jesus and betray him. I mean, that line from John 1, his own did not receive him, doesn't get much more personal than Jesus at that last supper saying, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Judas is just amazing. Think of all the goodness of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus that he had a, he had a front row seat to. I mean, I was struck, the feeding of the 5,000 at the end when there's all these leftovers and Jesus says, go collect it up. It's very clear to say they came back with 12 baskets full of leftovers, which means each one of them came back holding a basket of evidence that Jesus just miraculously multiplied these loaves and fishes to feed thousands. And Judas had a basket. Judas was one of the 12 who was sent out in pairs with Jesus' authority over demons and over sickness. And, and God worked miracles through Judas. And yet he betrayed his rabbi and his Lord. He despised, he rejected him. And all of this comes to a head in Passion Week, these final days leading up to Jesus' arrest and, and crucifixion. He's arrested without cause at night like a criminal. And he's run through a sham trial and false witnesses are drug up um, to, 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 to try to prove his guilt. And he's mocked and he's abused. He's treated with contempt by Herod and his soldiers. And finally, there's this moment where Jesus is before the crowd and Pilate wants to let him off, doesn't see any guilt in this man. It's almost like God gives Israel one last chance to change their mind and receive him and Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? Final answer. And the chief priests cry out, we have no king but Caesar. And so he was crucified between criminals, stripped naked, jeered at by crowds, mocking him for what he claimed. If you're the son of God, come down from there. He saved others. He can't even save himself. He gasped for breath as people gambled over his clothes that he had been wearing. And to his last breath, he was despised and rejected. And before we excuse ourselves from all that terrible stuff that they did and the way they treated Jesus, the Bible tells us at the end of the day, at its most basic level, our sin, our rebellion toward God is the same. It's a despising of God and his son Jesus and a rejecting of him. Colossians 1.21 says, of all of us, we were all alienated and hostile in mind. That is towards God, doing evil deeds. We're born with a hostile heart toward Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, said, we're not merely imperfect creatures who must be improved. We're rebels who must lay down our arms. So, question, why was Jesus despised and rejected? This isn't the complete answer, but as I was just reading through the Gospels this week, uh, three in particular stood out to me, at least three of the reasons why crowds and the leaders in Israel despised and rejected Jesus. Number one, they just didn't want to be ruled by him. Jesus told another 
parable in Luke 19, similar to the one we read about a nobleman who went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. In in the story, the nobleman is Jesus. But in, in verse 14, it says this. It says, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. That's it at the root. Many people recognized Jesus' authority and said, Who's, no one teaches like this man with this authority. And they recognized his authority in, in the, the miracles and the healings and, and the casting out of demons. And yet, many saw that authority and then said, I don't want to submit to it. And we can all despise and reject Jesus in this way. We all have this, this, this inner thing in our heart that, that, that does not want to submit to God's authority. We want to have the authority over our lives. We all can have areas of our life that we see as off limits to Jesus. And we say, at least in, in these things, I don't want him to reign over this. But to receive Jesus means to submit and say, I do want you to reign over me, Jesus. Second reason. Similar, but some didn't want to be exposed by Jesus. I'm thinking of John 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And in in John 3.16, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus how amazing it is that God has sent Jesus here into the world. And why? He says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is amazing, right? He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Why would anyone want to run away from that Jesus? But look at the next verse. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked wicked things hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We can despise and reject Jesus for this reason too. To receive Jesus means to invite his light into all the ugliest corners of our heart and our thoughts and our impulses and to let it shine brightly, expose it so we can see it and renounce it and be forgiven for it and cleansed from it. That's what receiving him, but something in us resists. We don't want the light to shine and expose what we're ashamed of. But if we would just get the first part of what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, we wouldn't run from Jesus, but we'd run to Jesus. He said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He wasn't coming to shame us, but to invite us to himself, the one who was going to bear our condemnation and shame in our place. Third reason that Jesus was despised and rejected was many just didn't want Jesus to steal their glory. I mean, that's, that's Herod, right? Herod, as the king, sees the Messiah come, God's anointed one, and instead of thinking, yes, thinks um, well, that's the end of my reign. He sees it as a threat. He doesn't want to give up his throne, his authority, his power. So he, he tries to snuff him out. The chief priests and scribes and Pharisees were motivated by envy. You know, it says um, at the triumphal entry, 
In John's gospel, they grumbled among one another and said, look, the world's gone out after him. As if that's a bad thing. They should have been saying, look, the world's gone after him. They should have been inviting the people to, to go after him, but instead they grumble about it. And Pilate recognized it. In Mark 15, Pilate, it says, uh, recognized that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. They didn't want Jesus to receive the praise and acclaim and, and the respect that they received from the people of God. And we can despise and reject Jesus for this reason too. There's a little booklet that we use to, to teach the gospel to our kids at Grace called Who Will Be King? And, and, that's, and that's the main premise is that our sin in our heart makes us want to be the king of our life. We want to be the center. We want to be the main character of our story. But to receive Jesus means that we renounce that self-exalting impulse and we step aside like John the Baptist who welcomed Jesus coming and he says, I must decrease, he must increase. So for all these reasons, Jesus was despised and rejected. But here is where I want to finish is, is how did he respond? Uh, Hebrews 12, 3 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He endured. He was hated and rejected and he endured it. He fulfilled what Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 7, that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. He took it. He endured it. He... Um, Hebrews 10, uh, or sorry, let me back up. We sang this morning, silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took the crown of thorns. He endured it. He received the crown. This crown that they pounded on his head to mock him and shame him actually crowned him with glory and honor. It appeared to be his moments of greatest weakness, but it was actually his moments of greatest strength, wasn't it? As he resisted what, what would have been a natural urge, I think, to, 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 to make justice be done. I mean, this is the most heinous sin that's been committed, the, the, the murder of the Messiah. And Jesus restrains his holy, just, righteous anger, and he endures it. Why? Hebrews says he endured it for the joy set before him. What was this joy? Isaiah 53 tells us this too. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He did it for the joy of that, for seeing many sinners accounted righteous, many sinners forgiven and declared guiltless because he bore their iniquities. That was the joy set before him. You were part of the joy set before Jesus. You can, I think you can hear the joy that was set before Jesus as he hangs on the cross in his final prayer before he dies. As he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's him praying that the joy set before him 
would come to be, that the Father would save even some of these who put him on the cross. He endured their hatred and their contempt and their rejection so that then he could turn around after the resurrection and offer them the gift of forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of his spirit and adoption as sons. Like Mr. Brady said, God's riches at Christ's expense. That was the joy set before Jesus to pour those riches out that he paid for. As we finish this morning, the direction I want to encourage us here in this is that we would be reminded this morning that we have been entrusted with this message. Jesus is still rejected and despised by many people in our world, maybe maybe many people that you work with, people in your family, people in your neighborhoods, maybe in a high-handed, rebellious way, maybe just in an indifferent way like the rich young man. They're just happy with their life. Jesus doesn't seem to fit into it. But regardless, we've been entrusted with this message and we've been called to follow Jesus in bringing this message even if there's hostility along the way. Even if we're met with contempt and rejection. I was reminded an old story about two missionaries from northern Germany in the 1700s who were setting sail to take the gospel to the West Indies. And as tradition has it, as they were pulling out of the harbor in the ship, their final words to their family and and people that they were leaving behind were, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. I love that. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. May Jesus receive the joy that he set before him that led him to endure the cross Jesus has given us orders. I bought them with my blood. Now church, go get them. And we may endure hostility. We may be unpopular. Now let's not be unpopular and get draw hostility because we're jerks. <laughs> but if it's for the sake of identifying ourselves with Jesus and his truth, then let's gratefully receive it. Let's consider him this morning who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for what Jesus endured. Thank you for bearing the full consequence and punishment for our, our guilt, for, for our rebellion for our rejection of you. Thank you that in your mercy, God, you offer us the gift of a second chance for the, for the wonderful news that to all who receive you and believe in your name, you give the right to become children of God. I thank you for receiving that gift. God, forgive us for often being closeted Christians, finding it more comfortable, easier in our day-to-day life to just kind of shrink into the shadows and and let our identification with Jesus go unnoticed. Lord, I pray that you would make us bold, confident, proud of Jesus, eager for others to see the beauty and the glory of Christ 
pray even this week, Lord, the people that you cross our paths with, the people with whom we work, the people we see this week, that you'd embolden us to be your representatives. We pray your spirit would go ahead of us and cause that word to be honored wherever it's shared. And Lord, this week as we enter into Passion Week and come toward Good Friday and Easter, Lord, I pray that you would keep in front of us uh, this week all that Jesus endured and the triumph on the other side. And we'd be filled with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.